Amen. Well, good morning, uh, whether you're worshiping with us online, hello to the camera, or whether you're out on the uh, courtyard area on the patio, or those of you here in person, um, glad to worship with you today. And today I want to talk to you about one of the most overused words in the English language, the word community. We have community gardens, community hospitals, community colleges, community pools. People are part of online communities, gated communities, photography communities, line dancing communities, craft beer brewing communities, and the list goes on and on. Some communities are healthy, some are not. Some communities are good for us, others are bad for us. In fact, I think one of the reasons we use the word overuse it so much is because real community is so rare. So why talk about such an overused word today? Well, the Bible teaches that if we really want to grow into spiritual maturity as Christians, that we will absolutely need community, authentic Christian community along the way. There's simply no substitute for it. So let me just lay my cards on the table this morning. In two weeks, we are going to start a new sermon series through the book of James. We're calling this series Faith Work. And I've been doing a deep dive into the book of James in the New Testament all summer. And I'm really excited about what I think God has to say to us at Glenkirk through the voice of James. As I said, we're calling this series Faith Work because the book of James is a blueprint for how Faith in Jesus expresses itself in works. And if you're an English teacher, I know faith work is not a real word. Um, but I think James connects faith and works so closely, I think James, who wrote the book of James, would say it should be if it's not. So we start faith work in two weeks. But as part of faith work, we also want to launch as many faith work small groups as we can. These are going to be six-week small groups that give people an opportunity to get together to talk about how to apply the previous Sunday's message out of James to everyday life. Pastor Betsy's been working hard all summer on a faith work study guide that will cover chapters 2, 3, and 4 of the book of James. And these groups will start in about five weeks, the week of September 26th. And they're intended to meet every week for three weeks, Take a week off, and then every week for three weeks, and then they're done. Now, I've done these kinds of groups at two other churches that I've pastored at. And what I found is that these short-term, sermon-based, small groups are an opportunity for people to take a step into community. So here's what I'm going to be asking people to do. Um, I'm asking all of our current small groups and ministries to participate over that six-week period to lean in and use the curriculum in their groups. I'm also asking people to consider hosting or facilitating these groups. Um, and you can indicate your interest on our website, on being a facilitator or a host, by going to glenkirkchurch.org slash smallgroups. And we also have a sign-up sheet just outside the doors of the sanctuary this morning. And then in five weeks, I'm going to be asking, or in a couple of weeks when we start sign-ups, I'm going to be asking everyone to participate in one of these groups. Now, I know this is a big ask. 
Um, I know that you are all busy with things starting up. I know we are in another wave um, of this pandemic. Um, and I know that it can be uncomfortable meeting people who are new. Um, so today, I want to talk about four opportunities that being part of a small group community like this open up to us. Um, and I'm going to be going out of Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 18. And so let's begin with Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul says this to the church in Rome. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. All of us have distorted and inaccurate perceptions of ourselves that we carry around. None of us sees ourselves with full and total objectivity. This is because of the effects of sin in our world. They have distorted how we see everything, including how we view ourselves. And if you don't think that you have any distorted perceptions of yourself, that's just another indication that you do, because all of us do. And here Paul warns us about thinking too highly of ourselves, because that's the most common way these distorted self-perceptions can manifest themselves, thinking of ourselves too highly. But sometimes we can also think of ourselves too lowly as well. We carry these distorted perceptions of ourselves. And part of spiritual growth as Christians is developing what Paul here calls sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has distributed to us. Now, first, that sounds like a pretty subjective standard, as if my view of myself should be based on how much faith I think God has given in myself. Um, so if I have faith that I'm amazing, that if I'm wonderful, if I have faith that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, then that's how I should view myself. But that's not what Paul means here in this verse. See, the measure of faith Paul is talking about here is not my faith or your faith, the measure of faith is the Christian faith. The truth that God has revealed about himself through his son Jesus and through his written word, the Bible. It's what the, the book of Jude in the Bible refers to as the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. The Christian faith is the objective standard by which we can evaluate how we see things including how we see ourselves. And the more we grow in our understanding of the Christian faith, the more our self-perception will develop into the sober judgment that Paul urges us to develop here. And this kind of growth best happens in community, in smaller groups with other believers. As we encounter Jesus and as we study the Bible together in smaller groups in community, our perception of ourselves begins to align with what God has revealed in his word. So instead of letting our view of ourselves be determined by our career or our job or by the academic performance of our children or by how many likes we get on Instagram or on how we feel at any given moment, the objective standard of our shared Christian faith that God has given us helps us see ourselves accurately. And this is the first opportunity that community gives us. 
Christian community gives us the opportunity to see ourselves more accurately. To see ourselves more accurately. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that person who is oblivious to how other people are experiencing me. Christian community, the kind of community we often find in a weekly small group or another kind of ministry, is like a mirror that can give us insight into how other people experience us. You know, for more than 25 years now, I've taught on and off as an adjunct professor. I, I first taught at Biola University and Talbot Seminary for several years, and then up until last year, I taught at Azusa Pacific. And a lot of the courses that I've taught through the years are ministry courses for, for men and women preparing to become pastors, full-time pastors. And every once in a while, I would encounter a student with an extremely inflated view of themselves. Often they feel like they're, they're destined to become megachurch celebrity pastors, to preach in front of, of millions of people. And, and these students often would resent being placed in an internship um, in a church where they have to, you know, plan a silly game for middle school students or pray with someone who's waiting to hear biopsy results or waiting to go into surgery. And so one of my goals with these kinds of students has always been to try to guide them into authentic Christian community because I know that that's the best hope that they have of awakening to how they're coming across to other people and developing the kind of sober judgment that Paul talks about here. But you know, all of us have distorted ideas about ourselves. Blind spots where we lack self-awareness. And Christian community is an essential part of growing and seeing ourselves more accurately. It gives us the opportunity to do that. Now let's look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 12. Paul says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Here Paul pictures community as being like a body. Just like a human body has different kinds of body parts and organs, the Christian community has many different members who all belong to each other in that community. Verse 5 says that those who are in Christ become members who belong to Christ's body, to this community. And back in chapter 6 of Romans, Paul talked about how we become in Christ. Back in chapter 6, Paul says that it's through our baptism into Christ's death and resurrection that God makes us part of Christ's body, of this community. The water of baptism is the sign and the seal of God's work of bringing us into this community. But being in Christ is not a guarantee that we will always feel like we belong in this community. And here we find the second opportunity. Christian community gives us the opportunity to experience belonging. It gives us the opportunity to experience belonging. Um, I became a Christian when I was a student at Mount San Antonio College, not too far from here in Walnut. And after coming to Christ, I started attending a, a church not too far from here that's probably about the same size that Glenkirk Church is. And that church had all kinds of opportunities to get involved in community. But because I was so busy with work, I was working full-time, I was in college full-time, 
I was content to just visit the worship or attend the worship services each Sunday. And as a new Christian, I learned a ton by going to those worship services each Sunday. But I really didn't know anybody at that church. And eventually it dawned on me that if I stopped showing up, no one would really notice. And that really started to bother me. In fact, I started thinking about finding a different church where people would notice me because I was starting to feel like just another face in the crowd. But then I signed up for a small group. And it was an awkward small group at first. Um, I was the youngest person in the group. I was a full-time student. Um, I was newly married. I didn't have any kids. And everybody in the group was 10 to 15 years older than me. Um, and um, seemed like they already knew each other. But it was in that group that I really started to feel like I belonged. I ended up staying at that church for 25 years. You see, through our baptism, we are brought into this community. But it's through our engagement in community that we experience the belonging that our baptism signifies and points to. Now look at verses 6 through 8. Paul gives us a list of spiritual gifts says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God gives different people gifts according to his grace. Think of God's grace as being like light that's shining into a prism. When light shines into a prism, the light waves separate or refract into different colors. When God's grace shines into people's lives, it refracts, it separates into different gifts, different colors. And we could roughly divide these gifts into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Gifts like prophecy and teaching and encouraging and leading are all speaking gifts where God uses a person's words to demonstrate his grace. Gifts like serving and giving and mercy, these are more like serving gifts where God uses tangible acts of service to manifest his grace. And different churches like to debate how to define these gifts and how they differ from our abilities and talents and how and when to use these gifts. And those are all important discussions, but they'll have to wait for another day because here I just want to focus on the opportunity. Christian community gives us the opportunity to use our gifts to serve each other, to use whatever gifts God has given each of us to serve one another. See, our worship services, like here, are like a lecture hall where we learn about God from sermons and from music and from our celebration of the sacraments. Our small groups and our other ministry groups are like the lab that builds on the lecture where we can experiment. And part of that experimentation is using our gifts. When I was 21 years old, I was attending that church I talked about that I was at for 25 years. And, and I started attending a midweek Bible study led by the senior pastor. And one day my pastor, a former NFL pro football player named Ray, um, pulled me aside and told me that he was going to be out of town for, uh, in a couple of weeks. And he wanted to know if I would lead the Bible study for him when he was out of town. Now, I had never led a Bible study before. 
There are lots of people in that Bible study that he could have asked that were more qualified to lead it, but he asked me. And so I did. And leading that Bible study was the very beginning of my realization that this is what I wanted to do with my life, to communicate God's word to people. See, community is often where our gifts begin to emerge and they give us a safe opportunity to begin to use them. Now let's look at verses 9 through 11. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In the Greek, the first part of verse 9 doesn't have a verb. It simply reads, sincere love. As if sincere love is like a heading for all the commands that come after it in the verses we just read. And somewhat surprisingly, Paul begins describing sincere love as hating what's evil and holding on to what's good. See, real love is not just sentimental mush. Sincere love has a sturdy moral compass to guide it. Because there are forces in our world that want to destroy people's lives. There are injustices in our society that crush the vulnerable. There are forces of evil at work in our world that want to tear people's lives apart. Sincere love hates the things that destroy people and holds on to the things that lift people up. We're also told in verse 10 to devo devote ourselves to a, a family kind of love. The, the word for love in verse 10 is a, the Greek word for family love, the kind of love family members have for each other. You see, a community can become what anthropologists call a fictive kinship. A fictive kinship. Fictive kinship describes a group of people who become a family even though they're not related to each other by blood or by marriage. The earliest Christians were this kind of community. That's why the most common way they addressed each other was to call each other brother and sister because they were devoted to this kind of family-like love. We're told to honor one another above ourselves. And ancient Roman world was an honor-based society. A person's status in the community and in, in the society was determined by how much honor they could accumulate for themselves. And, and your honor was built on your reputation, your, your family name, your wealth, how much money you had, and the status of your circle, social circle that you ran with. And so in that kind of society, people would naturally gravitate towards people who had more honor than they had so that they could build their own honor by association with people who had more honor. But here Paul turns that upside down and tells us to lift up the honor of other people, focusing on them instead of ourselves. He's telling us to honor the people that the rest of that culture and that society viewed as dishonorable. Because that's what sincere love looks like in community. And this is the fourth opportunity from these verses. Christian community gives us the opportunity to sincerely care for each other, to sincerely care for each other, sincere love. When I left my first pastorate about 14 years ago, I went through a very dark time, and I've told you about that dark time before. 
And during that season, I, I was part of a small group with, with, with other Christians. And they cared for me during the couple of years after that in more ways than I can count. They helped me move. They gave me a place to go for the holidays when my kids were with their mom. They listened when I complained. They encouraged me when I was discouraged. They took me out to do things when I was just sitting at home feeling sorry for myself. And some of the people in that group became my closest friends. And I see many of you here at Glenkirk do this for each other as well. I see you care for each other with sincere love. And I see some of you are closer to each other than you are to your own families because community gives us that opportunity to care for each other. Finally, let's look at verses 12 through 18. Paul says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The, the commands in verse 12 all assume that life can be hard sometimes and that community can help us get through those hard times. And it's followed by a series of commands that describe some of the practical ways we can do this. And I'm not going to talk about all the commands there. I'm just going to talk about some of them. Share with people when they're in need. It means tangibly sharing our resources when people in our community are struggling. It was the guy from that small group 14 years ago that helped me move when I didn't have anybody else to help me move. It was the APU seminary professor from that small group who saw that I didn't have a dining room table in my apartment and so he bought me one. Practicing hospitality. That means opening ourselves to people we don't know. See, in the Bible, hospitality is not entertaining our friends and family. That's just hanging out with our friends and family, which is great. I love doing that. But that's not biblical hospitality because the, the Greek word translated hospitality here, it's a compound word that comes from that word for family love that we found earlier. And then the second word that's part of this word hospitality is the word stranger, someone we don't know. Someone who's new to us. To be hospitable in the Bible is to show family love to people we don't know. People who are different than us. People that we have not gotten to know yet. Now first the command to bless those who persecute you. Seems a little out of place for a section on Christian community. But I think that verse as well is the call to refrain from retaliating. In verse 17, and the, the, the call to live at peace with each other in verse 18, they're, they're reminders that Christian community sometimes involves conflict. People in community sometimes argue and disagree with each other. Blessing instead of cursing, refraining from retaliation, seeking to make peace with each other. This is how sincere love works when conflict arises in community. Because when conflict arises, it's tempting to simply leave that community, to bail and, and look for another one. And, and some people do that. They move from church to church or ministry to ministry or small group to small group whenever conflict arises. But real 
community will work through conflict. And finally, the last command I want to talk about in this section I read is to rejoice with those who rejoice and to grieve with those who grieve. There are ups and downs in life. There are celebrations like marriages and new babies and graduations. And I've seen several of you on social media moving your kids into a college dorm for their freshman year. There are job promotions and retirements and starting new businesses. But there are painful times as well. Times like death and divorce, disappointment, failure, illness. A community walks with each other the ups and downs of life, sharing in the joy of the highs and the grief of the lows, sometimes at the very same time with the people in that community. And I think all of these verses, 12 through 18, really focus on the theme of support. And this is the last benefit of community that I want to talk about. Christian community gives us the opportunity to support each other. To support each other. These verses offer very practical ways to do that, whether it's giving someone a ride home when they're, they're, or a ride to work when their car's broken down or opening up our home or whether it's working through a conflict to make peace with someone when we have a disagreement or holding someone's hand while they wait for a biopsy result to come in. This kind of support can only happen when we know each other, when people know our stories, when we really see each other. And that can happen in small groups. So these are just some of the benefits of being in community with each other, four of them, to, to see ourselves more accurately, to experience belonging, to use our gifts to serve each other, to sincerely care for each other, and to support one another. And now that I count it, that's five, not four. Um, but okay. Um, the Bible mentions a lot of other benefits as well. But here in Romans 12, he focuses on these. So as we enter into the fall here at Glenkirk, I want to encourage all of us to lean into the faith work series, including those six-week small groups. I know you're busy. I know it can be scary meeting new people. But hey, it's only six weeks, right? I also know that we're in the midst of another wave of a pandemic. And depending on what's happening in late September, some of our groups may need to meet outside in backyards or meet online on Zoom. But if this time of pandemic has reminded us of anything... It's how much we desperately need community. We need people in our lives, in the highs and the lows, so that we feel loved and belong, but also so that we grow, that we continue to pursue a life of full devotion to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words from Romans. And Lord, as we think about this new series that starts in two weeks and then these small groups that start in five weeks, God, I, I know that all of us, probably, or a lot of us, have conflicted feelings about that. Because I know, Lord, that we, as much as we desire community, we're also afraid of it. Lord, as much as we want to be known by others, we fear rejection if we're known by others. So, Father, I pray that you would sort all that out in our hearts and that you would help us in the months ahead connect with one another more deeply to really be a community of people that are growing in full devotion to Jesus. Thank you for your promises of what you promised to do when we take that step. Give us courage to do it, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.